Welcome to Talk Cycles, a monthly meander through contemporary animation. I'm one of your hosts, Jane. I'm your other host, Nero. And welcome back. Uh, we skipped a month there, but we are back and our our heated poll uh, right down to the wire end up coming out on top for the good old Gravity Falls. So that's where we're headed this week. That's right. Uh, it was neck and neck between Arcane and Gravity Falls there, but eventually Gravity Falls won out. Uh, it'll be interesting because this is the oldest show we have ever done for any of our stuff. And I'm going to say something that's going to make everyone listening turn into a pile of dust and blow away in the wind. Gravity Falls is over a decade old. Uh, that's too. That's too long ago. And additionally, it had the most fucked up release schedule known to man. So I pulled up the behind the voice actors page for Gravity Falls. Uh-huh. The U.S. release date for Gravity Falls was June 15th, 2012 to February 15th, 2016. There are two seasons of this show. Yeah, they they had quite a few weird hiatuses. They had... There, there was a quite a huge hiatus, famously, in the middle of season two, right after the mid-season finale. Um, now, you say this is the most fucked up schedule. However, you have you have forgotten Steven Bombs. Those are fucked up. I don't think I've ever seen a network somehow stretch 40 episodes of television over four years. Yeah, it's kind of impressive in a negative way. But Gravity Falls... If for some reason you don't know, it's a 2012 animated series created by Alex Hirsch for the Disney Channel. And I feel like it, it, it I, I don't know how like actually popular it was, but it certainly got quickly got a like cult popularity status online. Yeah, people got really people got really into this show. Um, people people were very interested in it. And part of the reason part of the hook of the show is that there is an entire underlying current of like ARG style clues uh, and breadcrumbs to follow. Yes, this is a show about cryptids and conspiracies and stuff like that. And as a result, there are a lot of these like um, the, these cryptograms at the end of every episode, there are weird glyphs everywhere, there's backmask messages, there all, there's all that kind of classic stuff that you would associate with uh, conspiracy stuff more back in like the 80s and 90s. Yes, exactly. So there's lots of like fairly easy to follow but still enticing clues, stuff that's just complicated enough that it takes a little bit of time and effort to 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 get around to to figuring out but not enough that it would you know dissuade an audience of like preteen children um so it was it was a pretty good sort of sort of hook i think because like you didn't really have anything else on television that was trying to do anything similar to that. Like, there's the really old school stuff where some TV shows or, or, or other pieces of media were trying to do that back when Alex Hirsch was growing up. You had, like, the sort of, like, classic Dakota Ring style nonsense. But that was really missing, I think, from a lot of that sort of children's media for a really long time. And uh, Gravity Falls is kind of the... I, I would call it like the main 
big resurgence of that concept in the sort of public eye. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it was also like, it was just like sort of a fun show you could watch every, well, I say every week, but... <laughs> Theoretically every week. Yeah, I think for the most part, we'll talk about it a bit later, but the, the fan community around Gravity Falls did sort of keep it alive when it just went months and months without any sort of releases at all. Um, and, you know, we can talk about a lot of the behind-the-scenes drama. Obviously, Alex Hirsch released that extremely funny compilation of email exchanges he had with S&P, the S&P department over at Disney, where they were just constantly changing shit because they, they kept trying to slip stuff in. And then some stuff still slipped in. Oh, yeah. They still slip plenty through, uh, through the S&P fucking mulcher, but, like... Good gravy. Disney's standards and practices department is, like, just draconian. Just truly, truly dire to have to work under those constraints. And additionally, Alex Hirsch has been very vocal about his sort of opinion of working under Disney, which is not good. It's not great. It's it's not a positive opinion. Um, Disney is a fucking dog shit company they're horrible to work with and they're even worse to work for nobody likes them um but unfortunately much like amazon they are just so big that even though everyone hates them you just kind of have to live with it it's so funny because very publicly alex hirsch has complained about disney dana terrace has complained about disney uh the guy who created amphibia has complained about Disney. Like, basically all of their shows that have any sort of acclaim, the creator is on Twitter, like, two, like you know, a month after it's over, or sometimes even while the show is still going, just talking about, like, yeah, this company fucking sucks and I hate them. Yeah, because they do fucking suck. They're the worst. They're, they are the worst. They not only do they love to meddle in, like, every single thing you're doing, like, they, they, they have to have their fucking fingers in every little thing and micromanage everything because they're so fucking scared. They're so terrified of their stupid brand image. Like, they gotta make sure that the mouse is spotless at all times. Like, you you can't you can't besmirch the mouse even, even by, like, proxy. And it's just like, my God, nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares. Like, is anybody fooled by the illusion? Is there anybody in this world who is so unbelievably gullible that they are like, yeah, you know, Disney is just like the best, most friendly company in the world, and they're great, and they're all so nice. Like, does anyone believe that? There are, uh, the, the, yeah, there are plenty of those people that are called Disney adults, and I don't associate with them. <laughs> Listen, we don't talk about Disney adults. They're the most annoying people on the planet. But <laughs> enough about Disney adults. Before we get into some of the more detailed discussion about Gravity Falls, I wanted to start with like an overall what did we think? Cuz this is we've both watched this show uh in its in its entirety, but I don't think either of us has gone back to rewatch it. I certainly haven't. Yeah, I never went back to rewatch the show. Um I, I, I watch certain parts of it. I've watched them a second time. Stuff in, like, the back half of the second season that I really like, I've watched more than once. But most of the show I've only watched one time. And I think there is a reason for that. I don't think this show has an enormous amount of, like, 
replay value yeah that's not really a term you usually use when you're talking about shows but i think that it applies one might say rewatch value is the verb you were looking for there okay well listen but you you would think that a show with all these hidden clues in it would be would be more engaging to go back to right but ultimately the interesting thing we discovered at least about season one is that a lot of those hidden clues and stuff are not entirely like up front or like and i mean maybe we need a deep like a, like a closer watch to notice some of this stuff but i feel like you would have to uh you would have to be watching this pretty pretty closely like through a microscope to to um to see some of this stuff and you know we want we caught some some foreshadowing about future events obviously but um not not quite to the extent that one might expect from a show like this and additionally the other thing is that as i said the show is a decade old now and i would not say that everything about it has aged very well i it still holds a central charm to it that prevents me from just like tossing it to the side and i think a lot like a, half of the jokes are really good and then the other half kind of make me scratch my chin and go I don't know if we should have been doing that. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like this this show it has a very early 2010s sensibility to it and that isn't always a positive thing. I think that there are there are jokes and gags that I think hold up really well and then you have the ones where the entire joke is like wow black people sure talk funny or wow fat people am I right and it's like ooh Mr. Hirsch maybe let's uh, chill on that just a little bit. It is all of the best and worst parts of like mid 2000s internet humor like Homestar Runner and shit which makes sense because Alex Hirsch is tight with with the with the, the Chapman brothers, so well the brothers Chaps work on the show. Like uh, Matt Chapman is like credited five or six times in season one. Yeah, that's an aspect of the show that's just like it's it, it is it is something that when you watch it, it's like ah oh, yeah that makes sense. It it is it is not an excuse to say it is over the time, but it is something to keep in mind for it. It is context, and not all of this stuff was even good to go, to to do even back then. But it was certainly less scrutinized. No, there there was definitely a lot less scrutiny on this stuff at the time. But like, yeah, it's it's rough. There is some like very just like straight racism, straight like just just gnarly stuff in here. It's not it's not that much. But there's enough that it's like it, it takes you out of it. It jolts you out of it. It re- it really it's really you're not expecting it. Like I like every single time I'm just like wow I wasn't because it come it comes out of nowhere half the time right like it comes out of straight nowhere. You'll get like like a like a like a fake TV advertisement for for like a show that has like a really really bad title and it's like ooh. Do we have to add that gag in? Could we have? We could have made that anything else, huh? Couldn't, couldn't we? We bring Justin Roiland in back. Like maybe have him do another joke. It wouldn't be good, but at least, at least have him do something. That's the other thing. That brings up a third thing, which is it's 2012, which means there is a 
a higher than average concentrations of dudes who are super canceled now. Yeah. TJ Miller is a recurring supporting character. Justin Roiland is all other place. And granted, that one is pretty recent. Uh, famously, Louis C.K. was was in the finale for this show. They took him out and Alex Hirsch redubbed the character he played. I did not know that, and but also I am not surprised. Because I'm pretty sure the finale happened pretty shortly before all that stuff, so they 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 changed that out pretty quick. But yeah, that's just one of those things. Like, oh god, T.J. Miller is here, and he is not. He is in the show not infrequently. Yeah, like it's you 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 start to you you notice the little things like that, and you're like, ooh. But. Once again, that's just a thing you will show up, you will hit a lot in cartoons from this era because T.J. Miller is a guy with a funny voice that they put in a lot of stuff. Like, a lot of stuff. Yeah, listen, that is that is just the unfortunate reality of the, of the situation with a lot of these older shows. But I think that's enough table setting. I think we should go ahead and jump into it. And the way we're going to do this episode is different than the Infinity Train episodes because most shows aren't a tightly planned out and pretty contiguous 10 episode arc yeah like infinity train infinity train is this beautiful microcosm this extraordinarily tight beautiful weaving narrative that you can just flow through like a like a nice river sort of situation most shows like gravity falls are 20 minutes uh in a season of like 20 to 30 episodes and 90 percent of every episode is mostly irrelevant to any broader narrative implications so to that end we are going to try to hit the broad narrative strokes talk about the broad character things and and the the mechanisms that make the whole thing go but we're not really going to dig into every single one of these episodes like if you're if you're expecting us to give you a play-by-play of legend of the gobble wonker you're coming to the wrong podcast but we will be hitting a couple of very specific ones yeah and it makes sense uh for the first episode we start with to be the pilot episode tourist trapped um and this is of course our introduction to gravity falls and interestingly enough i wonder if this was going originally going to be a device that they used for the rest of the show but this episode is narrated by dipper like journaling yes it's really interesting i i think that was on the table it seems like that was the setup for how this would go because because dipper like Obviously, he goes and he finds the journal in this episode and stuff, and throughout the show, he's writing in it. He's adding his own notes and things like that, his own descriptions of of things that have happened. At the end of the, the first episode, he even specifically, like, is, like, narrating himself adding a journal entry after, like, the gnome's thing that happens and like talks about his experiences with that and that doesn't really happen again this is the only episode where he does that and i'm not 100 percent sure why they dropped that narrative device um i'm wondering if it's like a maybe like a, a time constraint they have other things they want to hit in the episode yeah because it sets up a status quo that ultimately isn't really real um it would make sense for a show about journaling and about, you know, a summer vacation to have that. 
And I don't know, maybe they just didn't want to be so twee about it. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but they drop it. They do drop it. It's it's very it's very weird too because it sort of makes the journal take such a backseat. Um, because because in in at least in in this season of the show, the the journal is fairly significant. It's very like it is. It's it's kind of a MacGuffin. It's sort of the thing that later on the peril revolves around to a certain extent, and it's also just like. It's it's the answer to most of the, like, well, how do we solve this problem, or I'm bored, let's find a magical creature type thing, and it just, it feels like it's it's set up in such a way as that Dipper adding to it with his own, like, findings and conclusions and things, it just, it feels very weird to me that... They basically drop that instantly. I guess it it, it it contributes to some stuff that goes down later where Dipper is kind of like implied to not like think for himself and just kind of like follow whatever the book says. So I guess it works in that regard, but it's not really... I don't know. I, f- I feel like it would have been more interesting if Dipper was actually like actively adding to the journal more. Or if the journal came up more often, because frankly, like half the episodes in season one, the pr- the main problem isn't even related to the journal at all. Like, it's not even really related to anything going on in Gravity Falls. Like, the journal comes up less than you'd think in this show about a mysterious town with lots of secrets and, and secret journals and stuff. It's true. It actually doesn't show up all that often, uh, which which makes that bit also really weird that it's like, oh, Dipper, you can't think or do anything without the journal, which is really weird because like he he does a lot without it. It's that's really weird. We'll get to that later when we talk about that specific episode. But for now, so let's let's start with the basic setup. It is it is uh, it is introducing all of our main characters, the the Pines twins, Dipper and Mabel, have been sent away for the summer to hang out with their great uncle Stan, who is a con artist that runs like a tourist trap, kind of the thing-esque uh, place out in Gravity Falls, Oregon, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like you ever see those those roadside attractions that are like world's biggest ball of twine? He runs one of those. Except they're way shittier. Just so fucking shitty. <laughs> and then additionally, he has two employees who work at him, uh, work for him at the Mystery Shack. We have Seuss, the sort of handyman, and Wendy, the uninterested teenage cashier. Yeah, she's got sort of she's got sort of a Squidward vibe going on, just a little bit in that way. Except she's way less grouchy. Yeah, she's way less pretentious and grouchy, and more just like detached and and like disinterested because she loves she honestly loves wacky hijinks that's the thing she loves yeah no she adores wacky hijinks and she she loves working at the mystery shack because she doesn't have to do anything 90 percent of the time that's right it's the perfect teen summer job it's just absolute bullshit now uh i guess here we can talk about our main cast here and specifically the voice actors that lend them uh their their characters here and alex hirsch is three-fifths of the characters that i have just listed um and additionally he also voices two recurring supporting cast characters and like 40 percent of the incidental extras 
Yeah, so the thing about Gravity Falls that you will find is a couple of things. Um, Alex Hirsch and, oh god, what is the other guy's name? Um, Who's the other guy that also, because like 40% of this- Kevin Michael Richardson. Yeah, so Kevin Michael Richardson and Alex Hirsch make up by themselves probably 60% of all the voices in the entire show. The whole way through. Matt Chapman is another like 20%. And then everyone else is the rest of it. Yeah. But it's specifically, it's interesting. The, so Al, first, I, I'm going to list these characters in the order in which I like them. And so, of course, number one with a bullet point. Grunkle Stan, voiced by Alex Hirsch. One of the best characters of all time. Yes. Uh, Grunkle Stan is incredible. He is like the, he is the blueprint for like shitty scumbag old role model right like he is ooh, he is just phenomenal this dude sucks but like in such a compelling way like you and you 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 said when we were watching this the other day like you you said that like grunkle stan is what really like awakened in you this love for the shitty mentor character I love a good scumbag mentor, and Grunkle Stan is the ultimate scumbag mentor because he is 70% scumbag, 30% mentor. And that, that balance will change over the course of the series, but for now, we are we are firmly in 70-30 territory. I don't know, my, I would go like 75%, really. Literally, like, six out of ten times I laugh watching this show, it is a Grunkle Stan line. Yeah, it, and the delivery does, like, the delivery helps quite a bit. Like, the delivery on Grunkle Stan's lines is, like, honestly just so good. Like, it's great. Like, and he he has the best lines, he's got the best delivery, and, like, his his B-plots, because he is, he is the B-plot guy, for sure. Um, his B-plots are always so funny, and I think the angle of his character being this tourist trap con man guy living in a a town filled with supernatural and paranormal bullshit that is happening all the time who staunchly refuses to believe in any of it is a really funny setup for a character and even funnier when he secretly does believe it and knows way more than the main characters do about it yeah no it's awesome like i i love the setup for him like it's great he he has such a like his his energy is great and that like that pastiche that like very that that little silvery glint of just like ooh there's there's more going on here than just meets the eye is like so so good to me like i think it's 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 just ooh excellent excellent work like those little moments those little tiny moments where he does something just really weird like obviously there's the moment at the end of this episode where he goes into his secret basement chamber behind the vending machine, you know, that's the big like hook to like draw you in or whatever. But the other, there's all these little moments like, um, there's, there's this room in, in the mystery shack that was behind a a bookcase and, and Sue ends up finding it. And there's just, just a pair of glasses sitting on a nightstand and he just, quietly slips that into his pocket where when nobody's looking and is just sort of like saw like like thinking to himself while like 
just kind of looking at them in his lap at a different point in the episode. Just these little tiny things that point to there being a lot more going on internally than there, you know, you would first expect. And that's that's one of the things I really like about Stan. Yeah, and just like when I said that the show still has a lot of charm to it, like 80% of that is Stan. For sure, for sure. He is the core of the show. He is the heavy lifting. And I think he is endlessly entertaining and like it ends up being one of the most interesting characters. He's got a lot. He's got a shocking amount of pathos for a guy like this uh, later on in the show. For sure. Um, second character, second on the on the list of guys I like Mabel Pines, as portrayed by Kristen Shaw. Yes, Mabel. Mabel's great. I I I think that she's an awesome character. She's like she's very fun. Like I think that she's probably like besides Stan, she's like the most consistently funny character. Yeah, I was gonna say six out of ten times I'm laughing at Stan lines. Nine out or uh, three out of those remaining four I'm laughing at a Mabel line yeah like she she's great she's she's a ton of fun she really captures that like like overactive like hyper kid energy she she really captures that like just barely on the cusp of being a teen like super super into like very specific things but is also like just a total menace in like in a fun way yeah mabel could be so annoying like if you have the wrong person voice this character it would be disastrous it would be a nightmare um but christian shawl is of course a very a, a very well established and and popular comedian and she is another person who is like you have a funny voice you should be in all our cartoons and boy she is in a lot of cartoons i mean you know on another beloved animated show bob's burgers she she is the voice of um oh god what's the name with the lady in the rabbit like the girl in the rabbit hat girl in the rabbit hat oh um oh god what is her name that's not tina that's um luis it's luis luis belcher luis she is luis on bob's burgers she is uh trixie in like the the new toy story stuff the triceratops uh one and like she's just got an energy to her you know um and i think her yeah her her vibe is really fascinating because she's 12 and so as a result what you have is a character who is who is like stuck on the timeline of like maturing she's got one foot in in childlike wonder she's still wearing all of these crazy colorful glitter glitter filled sweaters and and loves rainbows and ponies and all that but also she is insanely boy crazy she is so she she has this she has this like pendulum swinging back and forth between these two sort of things here these two sort of archetypal uh parts of her personality and she ends up really like that 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 creates a lot of situations uh that 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 she ends up getting put in and they're all very funny she also has zero impulse control negative impulse control one might say oh none not even zero filter zero impulse control the girl was given free reign at the end of the first episode the two kids are given free reign to get one thing from the gift shop dipper gets a hat 
Mabel runs into a box face first and pulls out a grappling hook. So that should tell you a lot about these two characters. Yeah, so Mabel is is a treat. Like, she is a character who I remembered enjoying even when I watched the show at first. And I was like, what a fun, what a fun character this is. And yeah, she's great. Number three, on the uh, down the list of, of characters who I like from, from most to least. Uh, Seuss, voiced by Alex Hirsch. So the thing with Seuss is that it's it's not a it's not a coin flip, but you know every so often you get a fat joke, and those aren't great. Some of them are kind of funny, but most of them not great. The rest of the time, I think Seuss is a very funny character because he is very inexplicable. He okay. The thing about Seuss that I love is he captures this oh this very specific energy. Like you know when you are like twelve or thirteen. And you just, you have, you know this guy who's, like, adjacent to your life in some way, who's, like, like 20, maybe, like, 22, who's, like, objectively definitely, like, like, not a successful person in any way. This person's, like, just kind of chilling or whatever, right? Like, they're, they're just, like, a, just a regular, like, kind, kind of bumming it kind of guy. But, like, you're 12, so that's the coolest shit in the whole world. So, like, Seuss is that guy. Seuss is that, like, ambiguously 19 to 21-year-old guy who is, like, definitely just kind of coasting and is just kind of, like, doing whatever. And he's got these, like little pearls of wisdom that he likes to drop that don't mean anything 95% of the time. But again, to these 12-year-old kids, they're like, wow, this guy knows what's up. This guy gets it. Yeah, and he's just he's just a very odd fellow. I think, uh, like, once again, 80% of it is the voice. This is a very funny voice that Alex Hirsch has done. I can't sometimes sometimes I think to my I, I, I think you know, my thoughts come to me and it's just it's just Seuss going dude and that's it that's just pops into my head <laughs> it's great like the the voice the voice is so good and yeah like I said a lot of the time there are some weird jokes with him like there there is he gets almost it's not quite as severe of a of a dumbing down as Homer Simpson gets where he is like you know later in later bits of the simpson he goes from like a guy who's kind of dumb to just the stupidest man alive yeah just the the dumbest man who's ever lived seuss is definitely on just sort of another another plane of reality yeah i don't know if i don't even know that seuss is on like a downwards trajectory in terms of his depiction of like stupid but like they're okay well i say that but there is a bit like there there is an episode dedicated pretty much entirely to Seuss being incompetent, which well, at least that's 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 like half of it, right? Half of it is Seuss being incompetent. And Yeah. That's that's like one thing, but that's sort of isolated and that and they sort of resolve that at the end of the episode. And that's a a lot of that time that's really less him being stupid and more him being like clumsy and not really being good at reading a situation. It's like a different thing. It's a little bit more grounded than money can be exchanged for goods and services. Yeah, that's fair enough. So yeah, Seuss, like he, you know, he's a, he's one of those characters who like sometimes the jokes you get thrown at him are not great, but other times like this that is extremely funny. Um, 
fourth character fourth character on my list of guys who i like from most to least now this this might all of this might make sense to all of you but you might be surprised about my final ranking the fourth character i'm going to talk about is wendy voiced by linda cardellini yeah wendy's great i do i do quite like wendy fun fact linda cardellini is the lady who played velma in the live action scooby-doo movies yeah you you told me about that the first time we were watching uh this episode the other day and i i was like are you sure are you positive you can definitely hear it sometimes oh my god wait i just learned something else new oh god she voices hot dog water in uh scooby-doo mystery incorporated aka the weird girl that velma was originally scripted to be in a romance with i'm sorry her name is hot dog water don't worry about it i think she's a mermaid i don't remember um okay i guess that's fine ask me about don't we are, we will cover mystery incorporated on this show at some point uh, but not right now anyway wendy wendy is literally the most normal person alive she is a completely regular teenager yes and that is what makes her so good because she plays the most genuine straight man to the entire cast of characters because stan in some ways is kind of a straight man to the supernatural hijinks because he like actively denies that any of that happens. But that's, of course, we know is like somewhat performative. Wendy is just straight up like so normal. She's just the most regular person in this whole fucking town. Everybody in this town is a fucking weirdo. The only exception is Wendy. Including her own family. She is the daughter of the gigantic lumberjack man, Manly Dan, voiced by John DiMaggio. And she's just normal. She's just literally a normal teenager. And, you know, and she is the kind of straight man where she does not necessarily get exasperated by antics, but she just sort of, like, doesn't even get involved with them most of the time like she's just standing off to the side like kind of laughing at it but not really getting involved yeah when wacky hijinks are going on that aren't like the kind that she's interested in she's just kicking her feet up on the counter behind the mystery shack and reading a magazine and blowing some bubble gum and that is her shtick and uh it's it's fun i i love how she ends up playing out um I think that it's, I I really like the dynamic, okay, I like the dynamic that goes on between her and Dipper, but only on her side. Yes, we will. I like it from her side only. Speaking of that, let's get into the final character, and the character I like the least out of the main cast, that is Dipper Pines, voiced by jason ritter yeah this kid's annoying he's he's frustrating here's the thing about dipper right obviously he's the main character sort of it's, it's kind of an ensemble thing um and you would expect that the character one would be most annoyed by is the super hyper like ultra girly crazy uh twin sister no but Dipper, okay, so Dipper is, I it's, I can't tell what they're going for with him a lot of the time. He's got a lot of things thrown in a bucket here. He's got a little bit of that awkward tween prepubescent stuff, right? That 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 makes sense. Um, 
He's a huge nerd. But, like, for specific things. Because I never really get a sense of Dipper's interests outside of the stuff he's in. Like, the, the cryptid stuff. And like, that's fine if that's the thing he's really big into. But, like, I would expect a kid like that to be into other nerdy stuff, right? But we never really get that sense. Yeah, like, he plays video games and he'll watch like weird stuff like es- like like you know like esoteric stuff on television or whatever and like he's like he has that going on but that's not ever like positioned in a way that feels like like a nerd thing it's just sort of him hanging out like he's not like a gamer he's just a guy who incidentally like will play a game at the arcade yeah and like it's it's hard for me to kind of put into words what I I find kind of aggravating about Dipper, but I think it's just like he he the the reason that a lot of things happen is that he is kind of a stubborn egotistical shithead who doesn't care about other people. Yeah, that's that is a huge thing. Like a lot of the situations that they end up getting put into over the course of the show are due in large part to to Dipper fucking up. And I think that's fine. I think that, like, a kid sort of imperiling himself and his friends because he's just sort of a dipshit is a pretty good hook for an episode. It's fine. It's, fine. it's like, fine for a kid show. But I think... So there's that, right? So, like, yeah, he, he he's driven by his... He has a very fragile... As a, as a growing boy wanting to seem cool. He has a very fragile ego and a very easily bruised pride. And a lot of plots are driven by him attempting to hide like a perceived weakness of his or something that he perceives as being embarrassing. Yes, Uh, usually something to do with like his voice or like his stature or his strength or anything like that. Anything that's like particularly like uh, a consequence of him not being like a, a particularly manly man and there's oh god there's a whole episode about that we're not, we'll, ta- we're not talking about we'll get we'll get we'll get into that later we're not talking about the mandatory episode that that one i want to talk about it a little bit at least a little bit but not yet we'll talk about it we'll talk about it a little bit so but here's here's the real main thing about dipper that is the main friction I have with him as a character. Uh-huh. I think it's perfectly fine for a character to have a crush on, like, an older teen, right? Uh-huh. That, that's a, that's whatever trope. That's fine. The bizarre thing about it is the weight that the show gives it as though it could be possible. And that's strange. It's weird, and I... <sighs> I don't like it. It's 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 weird. It feels weird. And it's also just like, I don't know. It's very like, uh, it's the stuff with Wendy's romantic life is so fraught to me. Like, I, I, I can't stand. Okay, 
Yes. I Dipper is so fucking nice guyified. You know what I mean? Like he's Whoa. so nice guy about the whole thing. Like, uh, this this bitch just wants to go hang out with this fucking cool bad boy who treats her like shit. Why won't she hang out with me, a nice guy? It's like, listen, yeah. dude, you're like three years too early for this like manosphere fucking like Reddit ass nonsense. All right, you, that ship has not sailed yet. It's 2012. Yeah, and it's it's just like I don't know, man. Is that really the angle you want to take for this this plot line? And it continues well, and like it's it's kind of his main thing for a really long time. Like it becomes his main thing. Like that's the that's the part that's really fucking weird. Dipper doesn't. Okay, Dipper does not make friends. No. His his only friend is Seuss. That's his only friend. Yeah. You you have this thing that happens over the course of this show where, and we'll get into the supporting cast later, but Mabel makes a bunch of friends and Wendy has a bunch of friends. And then you're left with like Dipper who really only has being bros with Seuss and... His extremely unrequited, like, one-sided hyper-crush on Wendy, who he's, like, barely even friends with because, like, he keeps fucking up constantly being friends with someone because he's, like, really wanting to, like, get into a relationship with her. And it's just, like, it creates this really weird situation where Dipper having interpersonal conflict or interpersonal relationship, like, focuses in an episode kind of only has, like, two or three directions it can go. Like, it can go in the direction of, like, people think I'm wimpy. It can go in the direction of, like, oh, Stan's mean to me. It can go in the direction of, like, oh, Seuss kind of messes stuff up sometimes. 99% of the time, it goes in the direction of, why won't Wendy just date me instead of Robbie? And it's, like, there's more stuff we could do here, I feel. There's more stuff we could do with this character. Why is this, like, 80% of this kid's, like, holsties? And also, often, it just gets really creepy on his end. Yes! Okay, so... You know, to talk about an episode we won't really talk about later, there's a whole thing where there's a pool episode, which you gotta have a pool episode, that's one of the archetypal West animation. Uh, you gotta have a guy, you gotta have someone fighting over the best spot of the pool. Yeah, very important. Which is the B-plot of that episode. Um, the C-plot of that episode is Dipper wants to be assistant lifeguard so he can look at Wendy in a swimsuit all summer. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, huh? Hi, hello? What? Like, it's just, it's very, like, I don't know. There's there's a whole bit in one of the episodes, too, where, like, Robbie, and this is just weird. I don't know why. Like, this is never elaborated on in any great detail, but there is a point where Robbie has a mysterious black CD that comes in a demonic uh see jewel case it's in the necronomicon yeah it's the fucking discronomicon and it's covered in spider webs and he pops it open and puts it in his boom box and it is a it is a track that he claims to have written himself and has 
like back masked hypnotizing messages in it and like that's a whole thing that he tries to do is like hypnotize because wendy wants to break up with him at one point and he tries to like get her to not do that with a hypnotizing message which is real i i I, see honestly i thought that the the whole point of that c plot would be that that stan and dipper go through all that shit to try and expose robbie as as like a as he's putting subliminal messaging in his in his like music but then it's like no no, what are you talking about but no they were right the whole time but them being right also doesn't matter because when he explicitly goes i don't care that there was hypnotizing stuff in there the only thing i care about is that you said you made that song for me and then and then you didn't and that's weird it's all strange there's a bit we'll talk about later when we when we talk about a future episode in more detail but yeah, a lot of the times the the conflict in some of these episodes and like the the big thing that Dipper fucks up to cause the conflict isn't driven by like pride like pride or or his own like arrogance or whatever. What it is is that he's trying to impress a girl who doesn't it's a one a whole one-sided thing. And so ultimately that just kind of makes him sort of pathetic and weird. And not really a guy you want as your funny protagonist. He's like a fucking Bojack Horseman character. Like he he is not a guy for a show like this. He's like if if you put if you took a lot of the same aspects of Dipper's character, you could easily make like a dark comedy animated sitcom, right? Yeah, you totally could. You totally could. Like here's here's the thing about Dipper, right? If Dipper did some of these things a couple of times, it would be fine. I I think it would be fine. I think that if you had, like, this unrequited, like, Wendy Dipper thing, and then it just gets, you know, crushed. Like, say, I don't know, in the fucking time travel episode that's entirely fucking about that. That one's pretty good. I like that one a lot. That epi- no, that episode's good, and I think that would have been like that would have been a good episode to just be like, okay, well, this is not meant to be. I'm not. I'm done messing with the timeline. I am over this. I'm gonna move on with my life. Like, and if you just left it there, perfect. That would be that would be great. That you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It wouldn't be like his only fucking character like point. It wouldn't be like his only like thing. But it becomes like his only thing. Like like so many of the episodes. Like probably. Of of the twenty episodes that we watched in season one, I would be I, I I'm not gonna go and count, but I bet you more than half of those episodes are at least in part dedicated to this shtick. And it's just it doesn't have to be. I'm going down the list. We're doing this now. Sorry everyone who wanted to hear us talk about the pilot episode. There's gnomes. <laughs> There's gnomes and the vibes on the gnomes are really fucking weird. We'll get to that in the end. Um, we're going to go down the list of every episode where the Wendy thing is Dipper's main thing. It starts in the inconveniencing where they're trapped in the haunted convenience store. That's where the Wendy crush is introduced. That's episode five. Yeah. Okay. Double Dipper. The one where he makes all the clones because he just wants to hang out with Wendy all the time. And also the clones try to compete to impress Wendy. Time Traveler's Pig. Time Traveler's Pig. And we already said that we liked that one. If that's where it ended... We wouldn't even be talking. Yeah, about and that this. would have been three episodes with it. That would have been three episodes with it, and it would have been like a, a cool. It would have been a good arc. Like you introduce the whole thing, it would have been good. Fight fighters, where he 
Robbie threatens to beat him up over something related to Wendy. Um, Summerween. We'll talk about this later. Dipper really wants to go to a Halloween party with Wendy uh, and thinks that if he's seen trick-or-treating that she will think less of him and he nearly gets them all killed. Um, that That is like, what, five episodes now and I'm only halfway through? Yeah, we're at five. We're at, we're at five. We're at five. Next one seems to be the deep end, so that's six. Yep, that, that's the one where I, the whole swimsuit thing. It's okay. It's only six, but that still has a lot of episodes. No, no, it's more. It's more. Boys crazy. That's seven. Oh, I forgot. That's the hypno music one. That's the last one. That's that's the last one where the Wendy thing is the main driver of his plot in that episode. And there's way more in season two. And it's just like, eh, it's weird. It's weird vibes. Um. We should move on to talk about the next episode. Because, yeah, it's the pilot episode. They have an adventure. They get all of their iconic items, such as the hat and the grappling hook and the journal. And as I as I mentioned, the gnomes have weird vibes. The gnomes have weird vibes. The journal, incidentally, I, I do want to mention how the journal was actually found. Because this is actually kind of an interesting bit. Yes, I like this a lot. So Dipper is tasked with putting up a bunch of signs in the creepy woods pointing towards the mystery shack. And he hates it because he feels like he's always being watched whenever he's in there. Um, So he starts nailing up signs everywhere and he ends up trying to nail them into a tree that seems to be made out of metal. Um, Turns out the tree has a metal like compartment in it. It's got a hollow. He opens it up and there's this mysterious old like rusted mossed over device that sort of looks like a really old radio and he flicks a switch on it just to see what'll happen and it opens up a compartment on in the ground a few feet behind him and it's just a little divot with a book in it a mysterious red journal with gold little bits on it and a gold six-fingered hand with a number three painted on it, a mysterious little little thing here. I love all of the art in the journal. All of, the journal is is a great looking prop. I think it's one of the. I don't. I I don't know if they sold actual journals, but they probably should have if they didn't. I feel like I've seen it in Barnes and Noble once or twice years ago. Yeah, I, I think the journal the journal is actually one of the things they sold. But I had an idea because the whole thing with the show is that. Disney fucking hated it for some reason, uh, presumably because Alex Hirsch uh, didn't like them, and so they were punishing him. Uh, but this show had no merchandising, very little marketing push after like the initial uh, first season. And I said, why didn't they just crank out a bunch of Mabel sweaters? Right, like Disney. Disney is already so on board with like the the whole marketing towards little girls with like special clothes and outfits and stuff like that like they are so on top of that like they are into it like and not just like disney princess like special dresses like you've got so much disney merchandise and clothing it would not be hard to just make a pink sweater with a dog on it like this is not difficult guys and yet they just had no interest in it. So let's move on to the second episode we're going to sort of use as a vector for discussion. And that would be the hand that rocks the Mabel, which is the introduction of basically the main antagonist of the season, a 
precocious young child psychic named Lil Gideon. Yeah, so Lil Gideon, eh, I don't like Gideon. Um, he's an interest. Is he even interesting? He is a villain. I like his. I I like him. I like his voice, and I like fifty percent of the jokes with him. I think he is very funny most of the time. As a villain, I don't know. As a weird guy who is in Gravity Falls, sure, I like him. Okay, so in order to talk about Gideon, we have to talk about this episode. We have to actually, like, discuss what is happening in the episode. So, Gideon is a child psychic, and he is like a TV child psychic. He he likes to, you know, do those, like... You know those, like, televised sermons and stuff like that? He's kind of, like, a cross between that and TV psychics. Like, you, you combine those two things, that's Lil Gideon. He's, he's like, a, he's like, there. there's a weird thing of, like, specific strains of charismatic evangelicalism where, like, child preachers become a big thing. A lot of Gideon, Gideon's imagery, like him traveling in a big tent... It, and, and and his accent as well is like a big part of that it, like the, the vibes are there the other half as you said are he's over he's always on tv commercials he's got branding he's got like he's doing cold reads and stuff like he, he he is a weird hybrid of child preacher and child psychic exactly and he shows up in town and stan and him sort of have an ongoing rivalry um they're they're both huge frauds obviously and you know they 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 both have their their fingers in the same pie they 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 are competing for the same audience and the same money so the he he expressly forbids the twins from going to see his show uh they go anyway because they're interested and they're also bored so they go there, and the show is about what you would expect, mostly cold reads, mostly, like, not a lot of interesting stuff. He's just kind of doing a funny dance and saying some things like, your name starts with M, it must be Mabel, or whatever, even though she has a shirt that says Mabel on it, you know, kind of stuff like that. The only two things of note from the actual show itself are, one, he sort of makes everyone stand up in a way that, like, Dipper sort of involuntarily stands up and he doesn't really understand how that happens. Um, and two, he overhears the two of them talking as they are leaving the show and uh, Gideon seems to have like a sort of evil, like wry smile on his face. Like he's planning something. Now here's where I get to talk a little bit more about the gnomes because there's a similarity here. Um, the main plot of this of the initial Gideon episode is that Gideon has a huge crush on Mabel and basically wants to marry her. This is the same plot as the gnomes. Which the gnomes also did. It was a little weirder there. It was five gnomes in a trench coat the Dipper thought was a zombie. Yeah. The gnomes are out yeah, they wanted to make her the gnome queen. Um the Early on, a lot of a lot of various creatures and characters want Mabel's hand in marriage, which is very strange. Y yeah, we. I want to talk about that yes. because this is like this is a thing. So Mabel has certain. I don't know. Uh, God, like okay. 
I think we have to before before we get into it, we need to get to the bit where Gideon sort of procs this conversation. So so Gideon, his thing is he wants to hang out with Mabel. He shows up at the mystery shack. He's like, hey, let's hang out or whatever. And he sort of is immediately smitten with her and starts wanting to do romantic stuff. And Mabel is not here for it. She just wants to be friends. But he's so nice, you know, you might. And she feels obligated to at least give him like one little chance and just, you know, do one little like friends date with him just to make him happy or something like that. This creates a whole situation like okay there's a line i think there's there's a line here and this is this is a problem that is that is worth bringing up in in children's media because it's important for particularly young girls to like be aware of how shit goes because guys who will try to who who try to force you into situations like coercively through like being nice or or putting you in positions of like great social pressure or things like that like Gideon will in 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 this situation in this episode he will like you know Mabel wants to say ooh you know uh, I need to let you down gently here. I, I'm I'm not really interested in any more dating or anything else. And he will do like some big love bombing thing. He will like b- put a bunch of people immediately surrounding the two of them. Um, something that that prevents her from from social pressure to to say like just straight no to the guy. And this is a real problem that happens. All the time. Just, God, just constantly. And, yeah. The thing is, there's a line you have to walk when you, when you do this sort of a thing in, in, in a, in a show. You can't, you can't do it that often. I feel like you have to pull, pull your punches a little bit here. I don't think you can make it happen several times. That's like a, that's like a one episode thing. That is, that is an episode you make. Which is fine. That, that makes sense. A lot of shows have episodes like that. Yeah, and it's a good episode to do. I think it's a good episode to do. I think having that be like the even as like the the spark of Gideon's villainy, which I think is a little, uh, but I could go with it. Um, it's a little, uh, but I could go with it. But the problem is, this is a consistent thing. Like Gideon's whole character Gideon forms a dark mirror to Dipper because they both have the same fucking shtick going on where they are uh, they they have an unrequited crush that their whole fucking personality revolves around Gideon is Gideon is framed as a bad guy for it because the object of his affections is one of the two principal characters and also because he's like you know nefarious about the whole thing but also, are they really that different? No. And also, the other weird thing is that, like, it's not even his driving force. He becomes a villain almost more to Stan than to anyone else. Because he's constantly trying 
to get the mystery he basically becomes plankton yeah where he's constantly trying to steal the deed to the mystery shack because as it's revealed in the finale he thinks there's like the the third the first journal buried there he doesn't know that there are three journals but he's got the second one he thinks the first one is buried on the mystery shack property and he understands that uh like the 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 if you br- if you bring all the journals together you have unlimited power why this is a detail kept until midway through the season finale i'm not entirely sure but that is what most of his villainy is except yeah he still has a crush on mabel which is weird it's just weird and and like I don't know. Well, you would think his his you would think his rage would override that. He would just want to destroy the pine ceiling, which would be fine. Like whatever. Because um, I think all this stuff with Stan is very funny because it's a fucking sixty year old man beefing with the world's most adorable southern gentleman. Yeah, and like that's that's hilarious. I think that Lil Gideon as a foil to Stan or like an, an arch enemy to Stan or whatever, I think is like that's that's great. I think that's fun. I think these two total con men who con people in different ways. I think that is a fun rivalry and i like that aspect i like when gideon is being like conniving and um plotting when he's trying to do stuff related to like stan's whole thing and related to the journals and stuff i think that's good i like that i just think that like I don't know. It's just there's a certain line that I think you step over when you make like a bunch of episodes that are about Mabel being really uncomfortable because a bunch of people are trying to like, you know, like get in with her. And it's just like, oh, I don't like I don't like it. I just I'm not into it. I don't like the energy. You can't have one of those people being a group of gnomes in the first episode yeah the gnome thing's weird the gnome thing's real weird like the gideon thing is one thing but the gnome thing's real weird i don't know that i'm a fan of the, the gnomes i don't like the gnomes very much at all the gnomes are just mm, there's a bit where like they go back to get help from the gnomes and the gnomes the the, the main gnome is like having a squirrel bath which is definitely not normal even for gnomes yeah so i just wanted to talk about one of the other like all all of this aside i want to talk about the other thing that that adds to the charm of gravity falls right which is which is the support like the side cast you have if if you're setting if you're setting a show in a weird town you need to have some fun weird guys that you can deploy whenever you want and for the most part these fun weird guys are fun weird guys the we've got so we all we were talking about little gideon he is voiced by Thorop van orman and which if you didn't know that's the flapjack guy and he basically does this he does a very similar voice to flapjack for uh for for gideon here and yes Thorop Van Orman made the the, pi- the funny pirate show because he was fated to do so by some kind of deity. Um, we also we've also got a few other guys. We've got the the two cops, Sheriff Blubs and Deputy Durland, voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson and Keith Ferguson, respectively. Yes, and these two are they they're real hit or miss. Uh, when they hit, they're very fun. When they miss, they're like, okay, let's move it along. But uh, but they can be fun. Yeah, they're fun, like, incompetent, stupid cops. 
I think their 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 whole deal of uh, is is quite funny, um, and it helps that Kevin Mike Richardson is also just a very a very good comedic voice actor. We've also got Old Man McGucket, who would you believe it is voiced by Alex Hirsch. Yeah, Old Man McGucket, who is like the crazy old prospector guy who like uses funny words like hootenanny. Yeah, but also. He is an inventor. Yes, he is also a genius inventor who builds giant death robots, like, whenever anything inconveniences him. Yes, I quite like McGucket, just because I like wacky old prospectors who say dumb shit. Um, well, and he's also got more going on than one might think, but we'll get to that in season two. Um, it's also just a very funny performance by Alex Hirsch, which will get you a long way. Yes. So we already talked about it uh robbie voiced by tj miller unpersoned um (laughs) deleted robbie sucks robbie just sucks not even in necessarily in relation to the the dipper stuff but obviously his the okay the fact that he is actively beefing with dipper and taking him seriously as a romantic rival is very stupid it's weird like this dude is like 17 why do you care that the 12 year old has a crush like why is this positioned as a serious threat why is it positioned like dipper actually has a reasonable chance here like oh my god this is like if your kid this is like somebody's kid brother walking up to you and saying you're pretty like i'm not gonna take that seriously hello yeah but he takes it he takes it extremely seriously wendy is completely unaware of dipper weird crush but he robbie is extremely aware of it and threatened by it okay okay here's the thing if that was played as a joke it would be fucking hilarious like yeah. can you imagine if the situation was that like this was treated as what it really is like a kid brother coming up and like pulling on this girl's pant leg and saying you're pretty and handing her a flower like you know Imagine a guy who sees that and is, like, significantly threatened in his own masculinity by it and needs to, like, defend himself. That's hilarious. That would have been a fucking unbelievably funny way to take that character. Why didn't they do it? It, Like, they teed it up. Like, they could have knocked that one out of the park, and they just, they made it, like, a serious thing. Like, no, no, don't. You have the joke. It's right there. It's it's just like Gideon and Stan's rivalry, where it's very funny that he's beefing with a child. But with Robbie, it's it's not often, like, played as too much of a joke. Like, it's not heightened enough. I don't know. I just don't like Robbie. Also, all all, all of the, the jokes about him, or is it like he's feminine or whatever, which is like, that sucks, don't do that. That's shitty. Yeah, like, there's a bunch of, like, oh, what are you, gay jokes? And it's like, yeah, okay, like, fucking... Hi, where's tight pants? Hey, where's tight pants? So he's mascara on. Why are you wearing mascara, dude? Um, it's not gay mascara. Leave me alone. Like, okay. The other thing, too, is, like, why... There, There is a bit that happens that, again, isn't played for... Jo- Fight Fighters. Fight Fighters has a bit where Robbie wants to beat up a 12-year-old, and everybody just takes this as, like, a normal thing. Why is this not a joke? Why is it not, like, everybody thinks he's a fucking freak for trying to beat up a 12-year-old child? That would have been so fucking funny. Yeah! Like, it would be hilarious if this fucking, like, 19-year-old, 18-year-old kid or whatever is, like, coming up to 
to this like 12 year old like oh, i'm gonna beat you up kid and everyone's just like dude what the fuck is wrong with you that would have been hilarious yeah like they they just they just squirted on the wrong jokes with robbie like make him more of a pathetic weirdo and that's better yeah he should be like he is pathetic like the, the thing about him right is like he fucking like he gets that pathetic treatment he gets a pathetic treatment later like after the breakup is like settled then he's like pathetic and he's like do i need to send you more texts why didn't you answer my text kind of guy like and that's funny like he's funny when he's that guy like why not like have him be that guy to begin with like i don't know anyway go go on about lazy susan lazy susan is voiced by beloved character actress jennifer coolidge she is the old lady who owns the diner she's got a weird eye she's not all there i think she's very funny but that's just because jennifer coolidge is very funny yeah lazy susan's fun and also it's very funny that stan has a crush on her he has a crush on her for one episode okay the Stan crush is really funny. He has a crush over it for exactly one episode, and the second, the fucking millisecond that is, res- like, requited in any way, like, she shows interest in him, and he's like, oh, suddenly I don't want this, suddenly I'm, like, having cold feet, and that's kind of funny. Um, and it's not played in the way you'd think it would be. Like, it's, 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 not, it's not played as, like he he loses interest because she's ugly or whatever no it's just that she wants to tell him about her life and he's like i don't i don't know why that yeah please 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 don't tell me about your cats i need to form an emotional relationship with you ah no non-specific excuse slams the table and leaves (laughs) uh let's see here there's a few more weirdos around I guess we should talk about the, the like it, the reason we talk so long about Robbie is because he is one of the most recurring characters. Yeah, he shows up quite often. Many of the episodes we got Pacific Northwest, who is like Mabel's rival, who honestly doesn't show up. Like she shows up a lot more than I remembered in season one, but also she doesn't like do anything. Yeah, Pacific Northwest is just kind of there to be an asshole. Yeah, she's just bitchy and rich. Um. Uh, she's voiced by Jackie Buscarino, who I notably is like mostly seemingly a behind the scenes kind of person. Like she's a writer and producer and stuff. Um, we've got we've got Mabel's two friends. We got and 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 the 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 chief culprits of this is casting that wouldn't fly now and probably shouldn't have flown then. Yeah, uh, or at least at least writing. Uh, we got Candy Chu and Grinda, no last name given. Um, Candy Chu is voiced by Nikki Yang, who, uh, yes, is indeed BMO on Adventure Time, and for what, uh, and also uh, Lady Rainicorn on Adventure Time, along with like a whole bunch of incidental Adventure Time characters. I like her. I think she's. I, I think she's. She's fun enough. I think she's fun. Um, I like her performance. Uh, Candy is generally pretty. She has funny lines. She's just sort of out there, like. Uh, kind of kind of airy so airy fairy like weird girl yeah she's fine she's fine like candy's candy's fine i don't i don't take i don't take any real umbrage with candy um then there's just grenda grenda is voiced by carl ferrolo and you may wonder wait a minute that doesn't seem right mm-hmm the <sighs> what the it's it's just one of it's just one of those things just like i don't know we didn't need this yeah like that's all it's all it really is to say about grinda grinda again another one of those like ooh, early 2000s things like haha oh man 
boy howdy wouldn't it be funny if uh we had a girl who was big and has has muscles and is fat and like um has a really deep voice like a really really deep voice who like speaks in like broken sentences sometimes and is really aggressive and is stupid like wouldn't that be funny and it's like mm, no not really yeah i'm not not really not really here for for the Grenda situation uh, uh uh too much personally i'll i'll, I'll pass uh, on that one i think we've got toby determined who supposedly is a local reporter but is mostly just trotted out for being weird a weirdo the only reason i'm bringing him up is that he's voiced by greg turkington which any cinema on cinema heads will know uh as tim heidecker's latest comedic partner um and you know there's just a lot of guys there's a there's a there's a time traveler dude voiced by justin roiland who's literally just doing the morty voice because he has two voices um there's there's a few interesting like guest voices alfred molina shows up as the multi-bear in the manitar episode yes which is like which is crazy that by the way i will i will say real quick just just because that's making me think about it there are very specific moments in this show where certain things will take on an extremely ren and stimpy style that whole episode the multi bear is one of them that entire episode is entirely like super ren and stimpy ish from the like grotesque muscles and my nipples or fists and whatever like that is so ren and stimpy yeah yeah, it's extremely, extremely like that that style of uh, that style of humor. But you have a lot of weird voice casting that just appears like that. Um, just weird guest stars here and there that you're not expecting. Uh, yeah, apparently Nick Offerman will show up as a, as a guy later. So yeah, there there will there will always be like a famous guy will pop up. John Oliver and Coolio are in the Wax Museum episode. Uh, voicing Sherlock Holmes and Coolio, respectively. Um, you've got like you know, it, it, Mark Hamill will apparently be uh, in there later. Lance Bass is in the boy band episode, which you know that fits. Doesn't Aaron Hansen show up at some point? I think he's like a background voice guy. He, although you might also be thinking of the Owl House, where he is also a background voice guy. Well, which also has a lot of Aaron Hans. How did that guy get voice acting? Like, how did that happen? But Jonathan Banks voices Stan Pines' dad, which is interesting. Um, Jonathan Banks, of course, being the guy who plays Mike from Breaking Bad. But that's kind of all of there's one more there's one more character I wanted to talk about. There's only one more. It's the it's the guy voiced by Will Forte, who is is the guy who whenever there's a fight going on, he will he will pop up and go, Get him, get him. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. Is he's apparently his character name is Cute Biker. That is his name. He's the cute biker and he really wants to watch the the big buff guys beat up somebody. Um, and you know, I guess we we can all we can all get behind that. So that's all the side characters, right? Like you know, we have a weird town full of weirdos that we can deploy. 
But the other half of that is that it's this is a show about a paranormal town, so we got to have some monsters. So the next episode I want to spotlight is Summerween, which is like in concept is definitely the one of the big standout like funny jokes. Um so here's what Summerween is about, as you may be able to tell from the title. A little bit of background is that obviously the people behind Gravity Falls wanted to make a Halloween episode, right? I mean, that seems pretty obvious considering what they made the show about. Problem is, they set the show very explicitly within one single summer. Therefore, you can't have Halloween. Solution. The people of Gravity Falls love Halloween so much that they have a second Halloween in the summer called summerween where the jack-o'-lanterns are made of watermelons listen if you can have christmas in july you can have halloween in june and there's a lot of very good like how like you know classic halloween jokes in here you have the pines family terrorizing a spirit halloween oh yeah they completely destroy a spirit halloween store the fucking poor service worker is just like i want to die i want to die and i'm like you know what i'm right there with you ma'am i'm sorry i really like the running bit where seuss is so like taken in by this stupid fucking talking skeleton bull he thinks he's a brilliant comedian he loves the talking skeleton bull so much and the main the main thing here is that uh they you know obviously this is the thing i mentioned where uh dipper and mabel have gone trick-or-treating every single year usually you know always in like a matching costume because they're twins but this year, mm-hmm. oh, Wendy's going to a party, so Dipper doesn't want to do that. Dipper doesn't want to do that. Dipper wants to go to the cool party. The cool party with the kids who are like, oh, dressing up is for losers, trick-or-treating's for babies. Let's go hang out and, I don't know, fucking throw darts at a wall. I don't know. What do the teens do in cartoons? Yeah, I mean, we never see the party, so we don't know that underage drinking isn't happening there. I guess we don't. So, but the whole thing is that Mabel is really wanting to go trick-or-treating. Dipper is trying to wriggle out of it. Uh, And during this whole thing, they incur the wrath of the Summerween trickster, who is this this mythical figure who who, uh, descends upon people who don't have the Summerween spirit. Um, And they must collect 500 pieces of candy by the end of the night or else they will die. Yes. And this is, this is a good time to talk about the monsters. How do you feel about the monsters in this show? It's cool when there there are monsters. There's less of that than you would think. Yeah. This is one of them. This is one of the monsters that I quite like. I think this one is a very clever monster. Um... But let's just like go down a list, shall we? So we've got gnomes. Yeah, we got we got gnomes, which are not really a monster. We've got a, a sort of um, Loch Ness monster esque thing in Legend of the Gobblewonker. Yeah, except it's it's a robot. It's a robot. There is a real one. There is a real one. Um, so we got that. That's another real like that's a cryptid. Third one's about living wax statues. Yeah, which I wouldn't really consider to be like a monster necessarily. They're just sort of cursed wax statues. Uh, by the way, the head of Larry King, um, played yes. by Larry King, 
um, is just living in the in the ventilation system of the shack now. He's there now. Uh, Gideon, obviously, fourth episode, fifth episode, haunted convenience store. That one is like a real like that has a good urban legend feel to it. I like that one, and I like that the reason that those the the mom and pop uh convenience store owners died is because some teens were playing extremely tame rap music outside and they both had a heart attacks and died yeah dude that's very funny that's the the whitest thing i've ever heard in my whole life the manitars we're not talking about them um, okay hold on just listen just just breathe just briefly for like one second do you want me to just read the character names why don't you why don't you just list off some of these character names for me huh we got Hutzpar, pituitar testerotar glurk and leaderar and here okay okay this is another one that's like this was a show made in 2012 this like exaggerated joke manliness that ultimately just ends up being extremely obnoxious. This is it's it's the same impulse that bore forth the the scourge of Chuck Norris jokes into the world. Yes, this is it's so Chuck Norrisy. It's so like oh god, like it is basically a Ren and Stimpy episode. Like Dipper versus Manliness is literally a Ren and Stimpy episode that just has different characters, and it is like just weird it's so like weird about like what like being a guy is and it's so weird and like the the thing at the end like okay you would expect the lesson of that episode to be like you know oh this is like a really weird like myopic stunted idea of what being a man is and sucks and like it kind of is a little but also it's more like the thing that you're supposed to take away is like the real manliness is standing up for yourself or like showing mercy which is like weird like standing up for what you believe in makes you a real man which i don't think versus with sort of a lateral move i don't think that really addresses the primary issue which is that like like okay like, like if, the, if the episode is trying to address like the sort of toxic situation going on like I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like you're sidestepping it to just be like, well, actually, the real manliness is X. Like doing a no true Scotsman thing about manliness is like weird. Like maybe just be like, hey, this is dumb and doesn't really matter. Would be would be good. Like I don't know. It's a weird episode. It's weird. I don't like thinking about it. I'd just like to take a brief side note to tell you that a future one-off episode character is voiced by a man whose first name is jorma moving on <laughs> um so just remember jorma okay? yeah not jorma jorma my son is also named jorma um <laughs> so double dipper magical copying machine not anything um irrational treasure this one's fine this is like you know oh we gotta find we gotta find the real history behind the town and like there's a weird treasure hunt and there's a guy frozen in amber like that's fine by the way the eighth and a half president of the United States, Quentin Tremblay, Alex Hirsch. 
Yes. Also, I'll have you note that was an amber that was in fact peanut brittle, which, according to the plot of the show, has magical life-sustaining properties. So, uh, fucking tough nuts if you're if you're like me and you can't have peanuts. The time traveler's pig, uh, time travel stuff, which is like I guess that sort of fits, but it's not really like a, a cryptid thing. Voiced by Justin Roiland. I hope you like that guy's voice because you hear that for like 400 hours because it's blending, blending, everybody. Once again, just doing the Morty voice. Um, Fight Fighters. Uh, Ryu from Streets comes to life. That's not anything either. No, although I will say I'm I, I don't know how to check this, but if like I look at that art and like that that pixel art and pixel animation, and I'm like, that looks like it's done by the the people who did the Scott Pilgrim game. It must be right. Like the movement is entirely the same. Even the style, right? Like even the style of of the of the actual pixel art is like so much the um the 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 scott pilgrim game yep here it is the pixel the pixel sprites were animated by paul robertson who also designed the sprites for scott pilgrim versus the world of the game and defense yep there we go perfect that's and you know what it's exactly what i thought he worked on one good game and i get to let you just i get listeners decide which one i think is good i know which one i think is good <laughs> um but not a monster or a cryptid i must say uh little dipper this is the shrinking episode yes not a cryptid either uh submarine submarine trickster as i mentioned an actual monster who has lore i like that yeah we got we got we got the trickster uh boss mabel there's a gremloblin which is like a gremlin and a goblin that's another monster that does something and yeah that's a real one uh the bottomless pit episode the bottomless pit episode is hilarious because it's actually an anthology episode. Yeah, so we've got three things here. We've got McGucket's voice changing tonic. Not a monster. Not a monster. We've got the living pinball machine, which that's like a goosebumps episode, but not a really a cryptid. Yeah. And we've got the teeth that make you always tell the truth, which is not a cryptid, but it is a plot to a Jim Carrey movie. Yes, and is very scary. I don't want someone digging teeth out of the ground and shoving them in my face to make me tell the truth. That sounds bad. I don't like it. Uh, the deep end. We've got Mr. Poolcheck, who is clearly the freak in this episode. But actually, it's it's a merman named Mermando. Yes, Mermando, who is voiced by Matt Chapman because he's just doing the strong bad voice. It's just strong bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, mer merfolk. That's that's like a real mythological creature. Not really a monster, but you know, I guess it counts. Carpet DM. This is the body switching episode. Not a monster. Not a monster. It's a weird rug. Also. I want to talk about one joke in this episode that made me go, were standards and practices asleep? Oh, yes, please, please. So there's a bit. So obviously this is the one where Dipper and Mabel switch bodies. And there's a bit where Mabel and Dipper's bodies are looking through a keyhole to spy on what Dipper is doing. And Grunkle Stan walks up behind who he thinks is Dipper and goes, ah, you're at that age, you're at that age where you're creeping on girls, huh? I guess it's time to have the talk. Yeah, how did that fucking slip by S&P? Were you, were they like out of the office? Were they on vacation? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think Dipper does need the dopey, creepy talk, but unfortunately he he's not, does. he's not the one who got the talk. Yes, I do. I do think that scene where Mabel gets the talk is pretty funny because we just see her reaction. Um... 
So, boys crazy, cloning. Now, to be fair, I think this episode is very funny, because it's very funny to see a bunch of uh, boy band dudes act like hamsters. But this is not a cryptid. No, no. I guess it's a conspiracy thing, but it's not like... It's not much of anything. No, land before swine. We got a pterodactyl, baby. This is this is fine. This is like, oh, dinosaurs are because like thirty percent of all cryptids are like, there's a dinosaur living out here. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, that works. I also like that this is the one adventure that Stan is here for, who that he cannot deny. But it's like, well, dinosaurs were real, so that's not weird. Yeah, it's not. It's not supernatural. That's not a hoax. That's that's not a conspiracy. It's dinosaurs. Dreamscapers. We will get to we will get to Mr. Cipher. Yeah, no, Dreamscapers and Gideon Rises well, actually kind of just Dreamscapers does indeed have a have a monster in it, but we'll get to Mr. Cipher. I would love to talk about Mr. Cipher. I quite like Bill Cipher. Uh yeah, but the other one is a giant robot, which is not I may remind you it's not a cryptid. Yeah, so so we we don't have a lot of monsters in the show that is notably about like cryptids and monsters. Like not not as many as you would think anyway yeah like you 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 would expect to see a lot a lot more like stuff going on there but that's it's not even necessarily a like a terrible thing but like it is it is worth noting i think i would like to see more episodes like summerween though where they're trying to figure out the lore behind a monster and how it can help them win because as it turns out the summerween trickster is this sort of homunculus made out of like the the shitty halloween candy you you know what i'm talking about yeah like for example homework the candy (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's like all those all those generic chocolates that are wrapped in foil and have eyes on them or something it's like they got that weird dust on them um and yeah they had they kind of like figure out what he's about and all of that and they defeat him in kind of a clever way but they kind of don't though they kind of defeat him in a jokey way but it's also a pretty funny joke because they eat him alive but he's really happy about it the thing the thing is the thing is there's that right but there's not a lot of time in the episode that's actually dedicated to figuring out what the deal with the trickster is because so much that episode is dedicated to dipper trying to which is weird okay that summerween is weird in how it's constructed because you have what is ostensibly the, f- the 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 first really dire, like life-threatening threat that they have been given. This is like a creature that eats children, and it immediately eats the first child that it sees on camera in front of the two of them. The stakes are very clearly depicted, but neither of the kids actually seems to care that much like okay mabel using it as an excuse to like get like like seeing it as as a serendipitous thing that will force dipper to actually participate in trick-or-treating when he doesn't want to that tracks i think that is that that makes perfect sense that mabel would you know act like this in, in in the face of danger it makes sense that she wouldn't like really necessarily totally get the gravity of the situation or like you know look at it in this sort of silly childish way i think that tracks for her character dipper on the other hand it doesn't make any sense to me that dipper's character would be like wow it sure you know we got to find all this candy to prevent this guy from killing us anyway let me try and slack off so i can 
you know, get to this party, like, man, all I care about is going and saying hi to Wendy. Like, you'd think he would be the one who's, like, concerned about this and, like, interested in this, 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 like, creature. And he wants to figure out what's going on. He wants to stop the bad things from happening. Like, it's up to him to save the day or whatever. Like, that's the, the steez that he is supposed to give off, I feel like. But he doesn't do that in this episode at all because, again, all of it is dedicated to the stupid Wendy subplot. One last thing. I like that the ha- summer wind structure is very clearly modeled after no face from spirited away he of course he doesn't move quite as incredibly as no face does but you know still pretty cool i do quite like it let's talk about dreamscapers the uh the kind of two-fart like dreamscapers and gideon rises and they are a two-part finale but they're really really different episodes in terms of just what's going on and now now I get to talk about. Uh, now I get to talk about this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, the one of the big things about Gravity Falls is that it was wildly popular on like Tumblr, and I'm sure other other social media as well. But like specifically, I remember when I first joined Tumblr in 2014. Uh huh. The, t- the two the two big things that I was watching that other people were also super crazy about. One of them was Kill a Kill, and the other one was Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. And also, CV Universe eventually got there as well. But, like, Gravity Falls was a phenomenon. And, I mean, because of the gigantic hiatuses, people had a lot of time to, like, dig through all of the stuff that the the creators left. Like, they love to leave these coded messages at the end of uh, all of the episodes and the credits, which were all, like, you know not not baby easy ciphers but not like super complicated ones either um there were backwards messages in like uh at the end of the intro and uh in certain bits of dialogue there there's all kinds of stuff that encourages the the fan base to like do the kind of stuff that Alex Hirsch probably liked to do when he was a kid, where you use your decoder rings and you like find the hidden messages, which is an interesting, like, you know, that's not really a mode of fan engagement that a lot of stuff has tried to do again, where it's like a very literal puzzle box thing, but not even necessarily about the, uh, the, the thing itself, the show itself, but following these clues, can often lead you to actual material theories and like information about future developments i think that's actually what happened a lot of people started predicting the big story beats that would happen later in season two because the more you follow the clues the closer you look at the show the more stuff is like revealed to you right so it was a really fascinating time and the and the creators specifically fostered that that sort of attitude towards it um where they were on twitter and stuff where they were you know they'd post stuff and and coded messages and all of that but yeah it's just like it's not really a thing that's ever been like that before or since yeah it really it fostered this environment the closest thing you can get i feel like that was like a contemporary thing at the time and i I, i'm stretching Ooh, i am pulling the word contemporary like fucking taffy right now Ooh, it's ooh, it's so it's so stretched because I'm gonna say that the the closest thing I think you can get to that kind of environment that it fostered was like BBC Sherlock, 
where people were like really doing that like in-depth like analysis and trying to come up with like like intricate theories as to what's really going on and and stuff like that of course the notable difference between those two uh those two shows is that well one gravity falls is like actually a pretty decent show and two um the creator of gravity falls actually wants people to think about the show whereas steven moffat wants you to go die in a fire yeah the clues are actually there in gravity falls unlike in uh the sherlock situation where they were just basically trying to delude themselves into thinking that the show was good and yeah but that one of the big there's another there's another cultural effect that gravity falls had on tumblr um oh boy <laughs> now well was this gravity falls's fault or was this what was this the fucking lorax's fault technically as with all things this is the onceler's fault but it is a wider impulse of certain parts of tumblr and of course i am referring to the 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 phenomenon of the tumblr sexy man which has changed which has changed definitions over over the course of time right but there is a speci- very specific kind of Tumblr sexy man who is originally like some kind of anthropomorphized object or like weird looking cartoon guy or not even anthropomorphized at all, like a like a orb or a triangle, for example. Um, and what happens is that people get attached to these characters and due to whatever age they're at where their their brains are sort of being marinated in a, in a, in the hormone soup that attachment gets tangled up with other stuff and as a result they start drawing these guys as uh, cute white twinks <laughs> this happened to the clock from don't hug me i'm scared oh my god i forgot about that the notebook from don't hug me i'm scared this happened a lot with don't hug me i'm scared uh wheatley from portal oh yeah i remember we i remember wheatley and of course bill cypher from gravity falls yeah there's there's a lot of art of bill cypher in a little like two-piece like uh, like tuxedo tailcoat suit and a big old top hat and he is just the fucking twinkest twink you've ever seen in your goddamn life he 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 basically just looked like a fucking hell of a boss character all the time oh yeah oh yeah like hell of a boss like all those vivacy pop like piece of shit shows are all basically their their design philosophy is basically ripped whole cloth from a bunch of teens on tumblr in like 2014 who were really into bill cypher and like nowadays tumblr sexy man is often like usually a character who has not changed that much visually but has perhaps changed a lot personality wise right um but in in the in the and of course the one slur phenomenon is sort of the root of all of this where tumblr was gripped by some kind of mass hysteria and <laughs> people really wanted to fuck the one slur and also created <laughs> infinite permutations of the one slur they wanted to fuck and also to make fuck other infinite permutations of the one slur it's all the one slur character voiced by andy samberg <laughs> not andy samberg other one who is it ed not asner <laughs> um the andy from the office i forget that man's <laughs> name but it's voice he was voiced by andy from the office in the show or in the movie 
and everyone went fucking crazy they did they did and those well those it's not over anymore because all the people that that energy transmogrified into the people who talk talk about dark applier that's true <laughs> now outside of outside of bill cypher's sort of being sucked into that vortex he, once again he is voiced by alex hirsch uh-huh um bill cypher is in every single episode of gravity falls technically he is the little triangle man at the end of every intro wearing the top hat and he finally shows up in the 19th episode of the first season dreamscapers and immediately makes a very big impression so first of all once again smp was asleep at the wheel gideon summons a demon in this episode like literally just says i'm gonna summon a demon he does a ritual he speaks backwards his eyes glow the whole thing yeah time 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 goes weird there's a whole thing the backwards message by the way is literally backwards message then bill cypher his first action pretty much is to telepathically or telekinetically pull all of the teeth out of a nearby deer and give them to gideon and then he puts them all back yeah gideon of course is like hey you're insane what the fuck is wrong with you so bill cypher so bill cypher he is a dream demon that is what he is classified as he is a, he is a demon who invades people's minds and fucks with their dreams and as i said he is basically the illuminati symbol with like a top hat and a bow tie um and like arms and legs so bill cypher is a character i think he's a very fun villain because you know he's just a, he's just he's just a fucking sicko crazy guy like that's great and also it's once again the the whole thing the whole thing is that alex hirsch is just very good at making funny voices he is he is and bill cypher has a pretty good voice like bill cypher's like intonation i think is great i think like his like a, like get angry voice is kind of like eh, whatever but like his general in, in, like intonation i think is great and the whole thing here is that he, Gideon is trying to invade stan's dreams to get the deed to the the mystery shack he needs to open the safe once again he's in full plankton mode here um and this you know results in your other classic western cartoon thing the the dreamscape episode uh, there's a whole thing in this episode where where dipper is is feeling frustrated that grunkle Sand just seems to hate him and is really hard on him and of course the man this is one of the the most egregious uses of like mishearing a conversation though yeah it is so like oh, fuck what does he say it's like some shit like wow this kid's weak and he sucks and i hate him and i i don't want anything to yeah, do with him ever i, I just i just want to get rid of him and dipper goes oh he hates me and he leaves yeah and then like 20 minutes later he comes back and then he listens to the same conversation again and there's like a pregnant pause before fucking stan is like yep that's all the kinds of things that bullies used to say to me as a kid and it's like sir that's not how people structure sentences. And every one thing, if it was more played as a joke, but it's not played as a joke enough. Like, obviously it's a ridiculous line on its face and it's kind of funny already, but like, I don't know. You can make that a lot, a little goofier, right? Like you can have someone. Remark, I, th like, I think it should have, they should have really pulled the goofy lever on that one. Yeah, for sure. Someone should have remarked like that's, why the fuck did he say it like that? <laughs> Literally. Oh, God. There's also a bit where Bill pulls these fucking, like, Technicolor 80s dream boys out of a movie Mabel wanted to watch named Xander and Cryin or something. Yeah. 
they're fu- I like them. I they're funny. They're they're very fun. So the the what ends up basically happening here is Stan's. Sorry, it was <laughs> sorry, sorry. The names are much funnier than the shit that I said. It's Zyler and Kraz. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot it was Kraz. Oh, Kraz. Um. So the Steez here is basically like you got Stan's brain is just a fucking mess it's just a total mess in there and much like real life all of the important information is is behind a bunch of convoluted stupid bullshit um that is also simultaneously really dumb like where does he keep the 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 memory for the combination to the safe well under the fucking rug where he keeps all of his arrest warrants obviously so like they they end up having to fight bill cypher a bit here because bill was disguised as seuss and he gets the door but mabel blasts it into a memory of the bottomless pit and the thing falls into the bottomless pit and uh bill bill's not happy about this apparently the the kids cost him um an enormous amount uh, more than they could possibly ever fathom because whatever deal he made with gideon was apparently really good for him and yeah there's a whole big dream fight they 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 you know they 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 like do a whole do the whole thing where they fight him in the mindscape using their own imaginations. But the thing I like about this is at the end they don't actually beat him. He just kind of stops and says, "Yeah, it was pretty pretty good. I'll let you off the hook because it was kind of funny." But like, I'm gonna be watching you. Yeah, like the thing about this whole fight with Bill is that it's like so play fighting on his part like even when the kids like, like get the upper hand and they start like attacking him and hitting him back or whatever and controlling the dream bill is just like uh no nah, i'm done i'm done with this actually i've decided that this that that we're not we're not fighting anymore uh y'all are funny though i'm i'm piecing out like he is like implied to be a very very powerful demon here and i think that's kind of cool like i like i like the idea of you know the the kids get this big monster they have to deal with and they manage to feel like they're outsmarting it and then it turns out that really they weren't doing anything to it at all and that same feeling extends to outside the dream because while they were having a fun Dreamtime adventure, Gideon just takes some dynamite and blows the side of the shack off and goes and steals the deed. Which, of course, because this is Looney Tunes logic, if you hold a piece of paper that says deed on it, then you own the building. You can do anything you want. You own it now. To talk about the series, uh, the season finale, it is Gideon Rises. And yeah, he has the deeds, so he owns the Mystery Shack. Everyone gets kicked out of the Mystery Shack. They go to live with Seuss's abuelita. Um, and the, here's the weird thing about this, right? Uh-huh. Here's the weird thing about like the the, repu- like the the reputation of Gravity Falls is the super dense uh, story. Which, you know, maybe that's more afforded to season two. But the really weird, you would expect, you would expect the season finale to be like, oh, it's fucking Callback City. We're going crazy in here. But actually, here's the the only stuff that's called back to is all from the first episode. It is the grappling hook. It is the gnomes. And I think that might be it. Well, and also the secret basement thing. And the secret basement thing. So all of that 
all of that is from the first episode. So technically, here's the really weird part. If you want to talk about the overarching plot of season one, the only episodes, and, and you know, I don't like the term filler most of the time. Like, even if, a sh- even if something doesn't advance the plot, there could be fun character stuff or fun gags, right? But if you're just going to be like, I want to see the plot of Gravity Falls, you would skip 80% of the, sh- of the first season because, you know, you everything you need is provided for you. And gr- in Dreamscapers, they remind you of Gideon and what he's done in the past and why he wants to get the deed. Like, they literally recap his whole thing. So you don't need to watch any other Gideon episodes. You are, they, they give it to you in exposition. So all you need is the pilot and then the two episodes at the end. Technically, if you just want the plot, if you only want the plot. Yeah, it's very weird. I was really expecting there to be a lot more in season one that ends up being relevant to the greater plot line. But it really does end up being kind of a very episodic, like not even monster of the week, like just 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 very episodic kind of situation. And, the, you know, there's a whole thing here. The, the, the plot of this, obviously, is that so, so Gideon... He find you know he finds the third journal. He takes it away from Dipper. Uh, there's a giant. He wants to turn the mystery shack into a pastiche of Disneyland, but actually, what he wants is to dig up the property to to attempt to find the first journal. Because as I said before, there's this whole thing where if you if you have the three journals, supposedly you have ultimate power. Um, and the the other reason that they can't turn the tables on Gideon is because Grunkle Stan is a well-known charlatan con man and general asshole uh and little gideon is the cute the cute psychic child on tv who's just so gosh darn adorable so therefore everyone in the town loves gideon and hates stan so they don't believe him when he says this little shit stole the deed to the mystery shack yeah which like you know it's it's a fairly clean setup here um so stan does very little to prevent this but also he's got his hands tied largely so he can't do very much like nobody believes him so basically he's like listen i'm just sending you back home to your parents i can't take care of you uh sorry summer's over kids and the and the twins are like no i've I've had it we're gonna we're gonna fix this so they go get the gnomes, and this is this is when we get the funny squirrel bath time scene, the very, very funny one. There's also, there's also a whole thing where they just say Gideon is a girl, and it's like, because he has soft skin? Yeah, they're like, the most beautiful woman you've ever seen, you want to marry her, and then it's, it, it's weird. Right, and then it's revealed that Gideon knows more about the gnomes' weakness than Dipper did, because he has, like, the journal that has that in it. It's a whole thing. There's a big giant robot, Dipper. I do like the fact that it is piloted by uh, Gideon wearing a mocap suit. Yeah, it's hilarious to to capture the the effects. And this is also this. Here's the thing: we talked about Gideon having a weird crush on Mabel, but actually, most of the other Gideon episodes that doesn't necessarily come up. Yeah, like it's a very back- it does now. It's, it's a very background element in most of them, but it does now. Yeah, it's back again. For some reason, it's like ah, I'll make you my queen. It's like what? Well, huh? I thought you were beefing with Stan. Where where did this come from? Hello? Yeah, I mean, like, listen, you gotta you gotta bring it up. You gotta bring it up, I guess. Like, ugh. 
and the whole the whole thing that unspools Gideon's perfect plan is that they discover that the reason he seems to be psychic is because he's got that thing from the Dark Knight, like the fucking he he has built the the, the little panopticon, um, and he's spying on everyone in the town. This causes everyone to turn on him and throw him in jail, and that's sort of the the, the clean little wrap up on little Gideon. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. So so first off, um. Yeah, so, so Stan brings that to everyone's attention, and everyone likes Stan more now. Like, everyone's like, they they, they, they trust Stan more than they trust Gideon. Gideon gets call, carted off to, to jail. So, there's, there's a thing with with the whole Gideon conflict here. Like, there's, there's a very, like, Gideon versus Dipper situation. Like, the thing that's presented to us as the prime conflict here is that Gideon has everything right he's got money he's got power he's got fame he's got uh resources he has his own journal and then he eventually has both journals he has everything that dipper has and more and gideon the whole time is just taunting him like you got no brawn you got no brains you have nothing going for you that isn't this journal and now it's mine so and i find it to be just kind of a weird point for dipper because i just don't feel like the show established that the journal was that integral to dipper's whole ability to solve problems like yeah i mean honestly in more instances i feel like the journal is what gets him into a situation not what gets him out of it you know yeah like i don't know the whole thing with with Dipper's cleverness or whatever, um, it, it it's a weak parallel that doesn't really. It, it's drawn very suddenly. Once again, it feels as though nothing else mattered, and that it's just the first episode, and then these two um, are the only ones that actually exist, and everything else is in a weird nebulous state. But like, yeah, I don't know. Um, I it it is a weird arc to draw where it feels like we're just missing the middle entirely which is not necessarily a good character arc yeah we're, we're we're missing we're missing the meat of it like we get the beginning and we get the end but the meat of that arc that idea of like dipper being like reliant on the journal to like be able to like solve problems and be like brave and and stuff like that it just doesn't feel like that factors in because there are not, you know, most of the issues that they encounter aren't, like, super mortal peril most of the time. A lot of time it's, like, pretty, like, the stakes are, like, high but not that high. Like, I don't know, it's, like, Dipper usually manages to, like, get out of it by, like, his own, like, learning a lesson or, like, thinking his way through a situation, like... You know, he's not, like, a brain genius. He's not Dexter's lab over here. But the boy, like, knows how to do, like, critical thinking and problem-solving skills. I think it's just, it's weird to frame it as, like, the only thing he can do is go, like, oh, I remember the book said gnomes. Let's go get gnomes. Like, and then give up immediately when that doesn't work. It's just, I just don't get it. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, like, the gears are not meshing. The last thing is that this is finally the payoff for Grunkle Stan's uh, secret door thing. 
where we see that he actually is fully aware. He's got like a whole underground compound and he he he, he takes the journal away from Dipper being like, ah, hey, this is where we're getting all these crazy ideas about stuff. Uh, I should probably take this away, you know, don't put any weird ideas in your head. But actually, he is combining all three journals. He has the, the number one journal and he is building something using a schematic that can only be read if you combine all three, which is the the thing that Gideon was after unknowingly. Yes, a big triangle shaped gateway that appears that that if you flip a switch it turns the thing on and the big glowy thing happens yeah so so stan has a big secret that he's been planning on for years great setup for season two but ultimately doesn't doesn't do much for this season yeah like (sighs) gravity falls is interesting because i feel like a lot of its most enduring memories and like all of its most famous episodes for the most part are contained within season two um like the the shapeshifter the stuff at the northwest mansion all of that stuff is in season two and as a result when you go back to season one it is mostly just very light episodic fare like a lot of other uh, disney channel stuff but you know if we want you know let's let's draw a parallel to something that is a very obvious parallel considering that uh, the, the guy who created the show ex- executive produced on it um the owl house right the owl house is and i said this when we were talking about the show earlier uh you and me the owl house is sort of like if gravity falls uh kept all of its its best bits while having all of its worst impulses removed there is this you know there's this ugliness that runs through Gravity Falls's sort of sense of humor. There's this cruelty. And sometimes the cruelty is like the kind of cruelty that Grunkle Stan does, where he's very mean to children, which I find very funny. But other times, this that sort of ugliness or unthinking cruelty is like Grenda or whatever. And that streak has been pretty much excised by the time stuff like the owl house is getting made right yeah thank you thank you dana terrace for tempering alex hirsch and additionally the owl house is a lot more character obviously we talked about episode one there are some episodes that are just like ah it's just light episodic stuff uh like the one where like there's a shrinking episode in that one that is mostly unremarkable and stuff like that but in a similar position to Gravity Falls, the the production of the Owl House became very compressed after a certain point. When it became clear that Disney was not going to give them a lot of time to wrap stuff up. And as a result, what you get out of a lot of the back half of season one and a lot of and all of season two of the Owl House is a lot more focus on character development, on like overarching storylines on stuff with a lot of stakes and you still have the weirdness you still have like the boiling aisles is a wacky fucking place full of freaks and weirdos right that never goes away um but the tone is drastically different and i think that's also just a change in what kind of shows get generally made right where a lot of shows of this of this age of this uh age group are are more dramatic leaning um and stuff like season one of gravity falls it's kind of a little bit less it's not like less common but it's less 
talked about. Like, you know, obviously, Cartoon Network is airing Teen Titans Go 24-7, 365. That is not a show with deep storylines or anything like that. That is entirely goofs and guffaws. And I'm sure that show is insanely popular with its target audience, but it never really makes any ripples out of that. But your your avatars and your owl houses and your amphibias and all the stuff that takes a more a, a more detailed look at story and character and, and drama is often what gets a little bit more attention online. For sure, for sure. It gets it gets way more it has way more potential for analysis, has way more potential for just considering the things that are happening in the show. And I think that Gravity Falls is one of the shows that sort of got the ball rolling on that. Like the shows in this era, that like 2010 to 2012 era, when this was starting to happen, that was like, that was a big deal because they, they were really... They they got the ball rolling for their for their predecessors, or not their predecessors. They got the ball rolling for for um for the shows that came afterwards. And like shows of Gravity Falls lack a little bit in the in in the departments that the shows that they inspired would improve on. But I think that on the whole, like just taken in its own context, I think Rowdy Falls season one is like perfectly okay. It is it is a perfectly serviceable show that I think is kind of caught in a weird halfway between wanting to be a plot-driven narrative and wanting to be an adventure of the week show. And it has it has the problems inherent there. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Sorry sorry to interrupt. There is another show. I just I just realized this. There's a way cleaner parallel because they were actually literally contemporaries. Gravity Falls eventually does become much more plot and character heavy in season two. You know what else starts as a goofy adventure of the week show and de- develops into something that has a lot more stakes and weight? Uh-huh. What, what show? Adventure Time. Yeah, there you go. Adventure Time actually is a really good example. Adventure Time starts as this purely wacky, like, you know... 2010s ooh goofy random show about a boy and his dog going around and saying funny stuff but as they go on and things like develop you get a lot more focus on characters and like evolving this sort of lore and giving tragedy to these once goofy characters um and the the difference is i think that adventure time got a lot more time to do that it has like eight seasons or something plus a whole fuck ton of uh post post show movies gravity falls has 40 episodes to do that yeah gravity falls does not have nearly the runway required to do the thing that i think that they were intending to do like the thing that i think that they really wanted to do was an adventure time type thing where they they have a very casual like slow introduction to the world where most of it is based in developing the relationships between the characters and trying to build a rapport between them and with the audience and that they would eventually have the time 
to actually like like slowly develop a more complicated and interesting plot, but they just didn't have the same runway. They did not have the room to be able to do that in the way that Adventure Time was able to do it. And so you run into issues with like just the construction of the thing, just the basic building blocks that build the 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 foundation here yeah and you know it's 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 a show that is conflicted it's a show that wants to be many things and as a result it is still interesting and i'm glad i rewatched it but it's you know it's it's a reminder of like stuff ages poorly and obviously there's stuff that has aged way worse than gravity falls right uh oh big time see all 90s movies nah. the whole of uh, just ev- sort of j- gesturing vaguely at 90s pop culture is all of that um but i don't know like i said the charm is still there there is something indelible about like grunkle stan and the the town of gravity falls like oh it's still it still feels nice you know and then you get, you get those little, you like i said you get those little jumps you get those little stabs like ah that was a weird joke there that was weirdly off color but then you know mcguckett says like a funny cowboy thing is like ah i'm back in gravity falls exactly and that's i think where we're gonna leave it i think that's that that covers it pretty well gravity falls season one a pretty okay season of television perfectly cromulent um obviously we don't know what we're doing next month yet um so listen everyone vote on those polls because that arcane and gravity falls were tied for like two weeks straight um until some people clearly shifted their votes around yeah so so definitely try and try and get your your votes and not a lot, not everybody voted on the last poll so you know if you if you've been holding out like maybe go ahead and uh hop in there and try and vote on it pokemon go to the polls yeah exactly uh gravity fall season two will be on there obviously if you want us to keep talking about this and work our way into uh into the the the, the more plot heavy parts of this show um but there's plenty of other options probably gonna throw arcane back on there um you know there there will be more to 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 do we have of course a patreon this is where you vote on all of this of course it's uh patreon.com slash crystal radio works and for one american united states dollar you get to participate in those polls and you get access to all of our old archived content for three dollars a month you are a warrior of crystal and this is where you get all of our current content uh, which is mostly going forward going to be final fantasy 14 related but you also get other other perks you know you get your 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 name in a in a fun color in the discord uh, what else do you get for being a three dollar patron? Uh, you get access to any polls related to any current content that we're doing, um, and at eight dollars, you're a trusted companion, and that means you get to uh, come along with us as we do uh, various raid nights and other um, community oriented events, mostly Final Fantasy fourteen related. Though we might do some movie nights here and there, so we'll we'll see about that. I need to reopen the Tongue Lash Shore Memorial Cineplex. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, yeah, so so hit up our Patreon, hit up our other shows, Podcast Power and Radio Free Heidelin. You know, leave some reviews. Yeah, reviews are good. I don't think this show has its own feed yet, but it will soon. And once it does, hey. Yeah, there you go. iTunes reviews. 
Let people know. Let the people know. Let the people know. But uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. I have been one of your hosts, Jane. I've been your other host, Nero. And uh, we had an outro. I forgot it already. I immediately forgot the outro. We will see you in cartoons. Goodbye.